over the last maybe three to five years, and even more accelerated as we're, as we're coming now, is that really more and more companies are looking at payments as part of their overall customer strategy. Mm. And I think that that's something that's new. And if you go to uh, some of the, the events that are out there, the airline events, the, the travel in general, the hotel events like Headnet and whatnot, now there are whole streams around payments and there are committees being formed and you're getting the big banks and the folks like ourselves who are part of these committees and part of these, these groups that are now creating standards and are talking about how do we improve this across the board. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. One of the themes we've explored on Tearsheet and here on the podcast is vertical payments. As tools become more flexible and companies and solutions providers target niche problems, we're seeing more and more companies focus on payments as a strategic advantage. That's definitely happening in travel. And beyond rewards programs, the travel industry has needed to pay particular attention to payments. Global customers expect global options, and providing a good payment experience can mean the difference between booking a vacation or not. Ingenico's head of travel, Eric Liebman, joins me on the podcast to talk about the travel industry's specific needs when it comes to payments and the role payments play in a customer-centric strategy. Eric Liebman is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Hi, hi, Zach. Uh, Eric Liebman, I'm the Global Head of Travel for Ingenico ePayments. I'm a travel guy through and through, so I started my career out in the airline business and worked in uh, Florida for the most part uh, uh, with the airlines and the operations side uh, in flight management and uh, in airport operations, and then got the bug for a hotel opportunity in the Caribbean and Hey, just fresh out of college, who wouldn't? So joined, joined the hotel uh, industry in the Caribbean, which led me to Asia, where I spent about 20 years uh, in hotels, primarily in hotels, but in different facets of the business. So I did some consulting work with IBM, where I was, I was involved in uh, heavily in airlines and the online travel agencies, digital agencies, travel agents and whatnot. So I'm really a travel guy through and through. And then about uh, five years ago, I relocated back to the U.S. Uh, because of uh, family issues and joined uh, at that time another large payment company. And mm -hmm. it was a bit of a new thing. I'd been involved in the payment side from the consulting view, but not necessarily directly in payments. But I joined them to give a, a specific travel perspective to their payment practice and spent about five years cutting my teeth on really primarily the hospitality sector. And then uh, in March of this year was uh, offered the position to come and head up travel for Ingenico. And here I am. Well, that's a great story. Thanks for sharing that with us. Um, so I, I, this is the first time on the podcast I really focus on payments in the travel industry. And I, I guess it's a good time to ask you, like, why does the travel industry require its own form of payments? What's different? Uh, yeah, it's a great question. And Honestly, as a hotel guy, I must admit, I was, I was more involved in marketing and IT and distribution and whatnot, and so probably less cognizant of the need for this. And it's a bit of an eye-opener now that I'm on this side of the business. Travel is a, is a really unique business, and I think when you start out as a small entity, if you're a motel like here in Daytona Beach and your business is primarily coming from New Jersey and Atlanta and whatnot, Payments are just like, okay, you've got a terminal and you somebody sticks a credit card number a card into your terminal and you're good to go. But as you grow to being larger, to being trans-regional, or even to that motel here in Daytona, if some of your customers are coming from, let's say, 
the UK or from Germany or something to stay here. The relevance of how they pay for something is something that I don't think the industry really focuses on. And But the reality is that if you live outside the United States, you're probably not driven by the four colors of the rainbow that we have here in terms of credit card spend. There are a number, in fact, over 165 different ways that people pay around the world for everything, whether it's people buy you know, like bags of chips in, in Latin America and put them on installments. I mean, there are just methods that are used around the world that we don't rec- necessarily recognize here, but that make a difference because if your whole world of, of commerce is revolving around a certain type of payment or a currency that you're used to when you're trying to book travel, if that payment method or those currencies aren't accepted natively, then it's a bit of friction for you. Then it means you have to either, by design, you need one of the four credit card brands that we typically accept here, or you have to seek your purchases elsewhere. So I think it creates, a, again, that friction between customer and travel supplier by use, what you're essentially saying is, hey, we don't really recognize that you have these nuances and we're not really making it easy for you. And, and where are we, I guess, in the maturation cycle? Like, Do travel companies, are they aware how important this is from the customer's point of view? I think it's a... <laughs> It's, it's an evolving process. And, and again, as, to reiterate, I think uh, some sectors of the industry are probably more advanced than others that are truly global businesses. I think a lot of, of companies that have a presence here, let's take a river cruise, for example, that goes down uh, wherever, pick a river somewhere, and that, that have customers from probably all over the world that are coming to see it because it's a major attraction. But they're really still driven by providing a service. And that's what I think, again, in, in travel, that's what we do. We provide a, a, a service that we try and excel at to, to leave the customers with a fantastic impression of what they've just consumed. The problem is if you don't extend that to the payment side of it, then you're really missing out on what I always call the last mile. So the experience, whether it be online, through a call center, or directly at, at you know, as a in person when you're purchasing something can really be let down when you sort of miss that opportunity to, again, make it relevant to the customer. So in that sense, I think we're trying to, companies, ourselves and others are really trying to inculcate this culture of, hey guys, you know, payment is a strategy. It is part of your customer service delivery. It is part of a customer centric strategy to say that Okay, if again, if you don't come from you know from Chicago or from LA or somewhere, but you're actually from another country, there's probably going to be a payment method we should be aware of. So, it's a process that we're going through. I think some are getting it a bit better than others, but for the most part, I think we're still on the journey. Do Do you think, from that vantage point, then um, it's a strategic advantage to stay ahead in the payments cycle? I guess um, for a, a tour operator, like you said, on the river. Um, or is it, or is it more just like um, sufficient? Uh, do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, I, I think it's a competitive advantage. So uh, again, it, let's take the the reverse act. So let's say you're going to Bali, and you're booking a holiday there, and your hotel probably I hope has paying. rates. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so so uh, is the IRS listening? Because that could be a <laughs> Um So 
let's let's say your your hotel probably has rights in U.S. dollars when you book it on the website and any of the major brands, even some of the local ones. But let's say you wanted to stay local, and you found this phenomenal hotel somewhere that is on the beach and it's got this. It's just a super over-the-top spa and all the other things, and you really want to book it. And you look at the rates, and the rates are 849,275 Indonesian rupiah. So you have two choices. Either one, you can go fishing for a currency calculator and start figuring what that is in, in dollars, or likelihood is you're probably going to go to an online travel agent and look for that same property where you'll probably find it in your local currency. So now that hotel has lost out the opportunity for a direct booking, so it's obviously, for the online travel agent, it's a win. For the hotel, it's probably a bit of a pass because they get the room, but they don't really have you as a direct, so there's more cost involved. And there's obviously, they don't, they don't capture things like email and whatnot. So now you've got a customer who really had only one choice to make that booking. Now, if you even go further, and let's say you want to book some ground tours while you're there and you want to go see a waterfall, you want to take a boat ride out you know, to see some of the neighboring islands and whatnot, and now, again, you're seeing it all in, you go to, let's say, tour operator A, and he's got his rates in Indonesian rupiah, which means nothing mm -hmm. to you. And you go to tour operator B, and he's got it in U.S. dollars. And when you book it in U.S. dollars, that's what ends up on your credit card. Versus if you book it in rupiah, the conversion rate could be anyone's guess, plus there's usually a foreign transaction fee. There's obviously, you know, typically the banks are going to try and make a few bucks on the conversion, so there's some premiums put on that. So from a customer experience and you were going back to Bali or you're going to recommend that tour to a friend who's going, which would you recommend? So I think in that sense, having the, the foresight to say, hey, we recognize that you want to see it in your currency, you want to have it in your payment time, makes, I think, the customer experience far better and far more, again, frictionless for the, for the person who's booking. So in that sense, I think having those, you know, those kind of relevant payment types make it more competitive, in my view. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, can we shift the conversation, um, I guess, to your day-to-day? -day? Like, who are Ingenico's clients in travel and, and like, what, what kind of work do you do for them? So we've got a really varied and pretty broad spectrum of customers in our portfolio. And they range from the big global airlines um, and hotel groups to, as I mentioned, things like the river cruises, coach tours. We have rail operators. Uh, backpack tours, uh, you name it. So we we have a pretty broad spectrum of what we define as travel, but at Ingenico, our kind of target customer, I guess our sweet spot really, are the folks that are more global or even trans-regional uh, be because we have such a global footprint. We have offices around the world. We are in virtually, we're in, we are in every continent we have all the local folks and boots on the ground, as they say, so we can offer support, language, and whatnot. And again, these relevant local payment types. So our customers are typically going to be folks that take more advantage of that sort of global coverage so that where, wherever your customer comes from, we have a local solution to provide for them. In terms of what we provide for those customers, we are primarily a payment transaction company. So we facilitate the the, the payment transactions in and out for these, these companies. We advise them on things like the upcoming regulatory changes in Europe, what they're calling the PSD2 and the strong mm -hmm. customer authentication. So these are the kind of things uh, that we're ahead of with our customers. So we advise them what's necessary, obviously the changes, 
We talk to their vendors to make sure that everything's compliant. We even do things like when Facebook announced Libra, right? We, we'll look into that and say, okay, well, what does that mean? And if this really becomes a thing, let's get ahead of it and let's advise our customers whether this is a, a you know, a form of payment they want to accept, for example, mm-hmm. or if there's a new, you know, any new payment. When WeChat entered the scene, you know, several years ago, so we got ahead of that and said, hey, if you really want to attract the Chinese customer to our earlier point, um, this is probably what you want to do. You want to be able to accept this form of currency. This is what you'll need to do. And so we stay ahead of these things to ensure that our customers are riding kind of the, the most current wave of, of payment preferred methods. Then, of course, you know, our other day job is to continually push the, the innovation envelope to mm-hmm. look into things like biometrics and Hey, what does it mean when you're in a hotel room and you, you've got a, you know, an echo in the room and you say, Hey, Alexa, order me a pizza and put this on it and have it delivered to my room and charge it to my account and have that all happen seamlessly. So, you know, we work behind the scenes with those folks to see that sort of stuff that's enabled. So that's where we are trying to always drive value for customers. And, and again, taking the payments from just like, okay, you're just taking a credit card in the machine to how does this enhance the actual customer experience? Got it. I, and I guess taking that a step further, I, I don't know if you can talk about clients, um, but from your vantage point, who who's doing a good job at travel payments? So, I, yeah, I, I, of course, I can't speak about specific brand names, but I can say as an industry, uh, I think the airlines are probably ahead of everybody because they are really and truly global businesses. And of course, because they travel from city pairs connecting all over the world, they really need to be by design a little bit more sensitive to payment types. So you really can't operate again in Latin America unless you have an installment product and you accept all the local currencies because they, you know, they just won't pay in us dollars and they won't do the conversions and whatnot. Uh, similarly in, uh, in China, right? If you're going to be in China, you have to accept the Ali pays and the WeChat pays and union pays, and you have to be able to process in RMB. And so I think airlines are probably, to me, I think the best, I think they still have, again, uh, a, a good ways to go because I think there's so many emerging payment types. And again, we offer them all. You don't necessarily need to or want to offer everyone to customers, but the more you have, I think the better proposition you have. And then I would say probably, again, second them because of their, their coverage is probably the online travel agents are, are probably the next in line. I think these guys are starting to really cotton on to to creating this local environment for their customers. And I think that, that the challenge is that there are only a few folks like ourselves that really can offer this, which is great for us. But in terms of, of coverage, you know, it's, it's a challenge to have all, you know, the, the entire globe coverage. And it's a, it's a pretty ominous task to be out there and say, okay, no matter where you are as a customer, we're going to be able to transact you locally. Um, that's that's the big piece. So we're always working to to fill gaps wherever we can, as as I'm sure you know the other folks in the industry are. But it makes it uh, a wieldy proposition, I think, for some of these companies to take on to to figure out how do we you know manage a guy who's in you know Bhutan and booking a hotel in Sydney and manage that transaction locally. So that's that's the challenge that we face. But I think from a, a company perspective. Uh, Again, we're, we're still, we have a, a good ways to go until we've got all the industries connected to all the different points on the globe. Th- that global challenge that you described, Eric, it, it, 
is there some form of arbitrage going on? Meaning like if you're, if you're domiciled as a company in the US and you're, you're competing for a global customer, you have to compete against a European or Asian um, travel company as well, which, which has a different, is on a different life cycle, a different you know, evolutionary, at least in the payments technology is, is holding somewhere completely different. Do you, is that, do you see that happening that, you know, like different geographies are, you know, are evolving at different speeds and therefore like, you know, they're more or less competitive? Absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, I can say this cause I'm American, but I think we here in the States are probably the furthest behind. Right. That's kind of what I was getting cycle. at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because because I think again we we have such a tremendous infrastructure here that really we think again uh, as I call it the four colors of the rainbow, right? So it's Visa, Master, Amex, and Discover are really the main ones here. Yes, you have JCB miners and you have others that that certainly get get involved, but we really live on U.S. dollars in those brands. And uh, and I, I've talked to a lot of companies that don't even offer Canadian dollars. I mean, it's as ridiculous as that sounds. And and then they have uh, they have a product called Interact, which is their their debit product that a lot of them don't offer. So even just north of us, you know, they're they're not really offering those kind of payment types. So I think here we are probably yeah the furthest behind in that cycle of change. Whereas in Europe, where there where certainly before the euro, I mean, life was you know every border was a new currency. So I think they were already used to that. You know, foreign exchange used to the fact that hey, in Germany you're using this product called Silfort, which is this, you know, this uh, this debit thing, and in, and in the Netherlands you're using you know Klarna, and here you're using Ideal. So there were all these different things, and they understood it. Similarly, in Asia, I think Asia again, if, you know, every you know short while you've got a completely different payment infrastructure. So they were a little bit more aware. So yeah, we've got a little ways to go here in the states. Okay. Um, and I guess we have time for one last question. I'm curious um, from, from your perspective and what you're seeing in the business, like what are, what are some of the, and obviously you've described some trends in, in, the, in the course of our conversation, but what do you think are sort of the biggest trends uh, within travel payments that our listeners should be aware of? Well, I think there's some really cool stuff coming up around AI, as I mentioned, the artificial intelligence. So the speaking to a device and and we're even working with things called chat bots which are very cool which make it a, a eerily personal experience even though you're working with a machine so i think we're we're really seeing some very cool strides in in artificial intelligence and i think that travel is a perfect way to do that because it can be so contextual you can just you know you can now text a a, a chatbot again for a hotel booking and you can get really down to specific views and you know floors and everything just by interacting with this this chatbot that really acts and talks like a human but but isn't so you can simultaneously do this a million times if you want to get a really great outcome so i think ai is good the interim stuff for hotels fantastic um i think that probably also to the points that we've been talking about going all the way back is that over the last maybe three to five years and even more accelerated as we're, as we're coming now is that really more and more companies are looking at payments as part of their overall customer strategy. Mm. And I think that that's something that's new. And if you go to uh, some of the, the events that are out there, the airline events, the, the travel in general, the hotel events like Headnet and whatnot, now there are whole streams around payments and there are committees being formed and you're getting 
the big banks and the folks like ourselves who are part of these committees and part of these, these groups that are now creating standards and are talking about how do we improve this across the board. So I think interestingly enough, as we make payment more invisible, if you think about it like the stored card where all you have to do now is just go on the app and you can really book, uh, check in, open your room door, check out and everything without ever talking to a human or ever pulling your wallet out of your, your pocket. So I think these ways of making payments more invisible has actually made it kind of sexier to where it's like, hey, this is really actually cool. I can do all this and hey, I never have to really touch my credit card. And of course, the Apple Pays of the world and other things are probably making payments a little bit more onto the radar. So mm -hmm. people are seeing that, oh, this is a cool thing. And by the way, if we do this and this, it actually makes it even more of a great experience because I think clearly folks like Uber have shown that, you know, the more frictionless you make the experience, I mean, Uber's great, right? You just, you call the, the card, you get in, you get out, you never have to touch anything. It's phenomenal. Now start expanding that to other industries. And I think you're going to see where we, folks like ourselves are going to drive that change of, hey, you're still going to pay for things, but maybe it's going to be in a very different way and a way that's a little bit more, again, frictionless, kind of fun in, in, in many ways without having to, again, fish out your credit card and stick it in a machine. Eric, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thank you.